All right, all right. We're back. I'm Christy Pitts, and I'm joined by Peter Rojas, and you're listening to Zero G, A History of Forgotten Phones. This is episode eight. Peter, we made it. I know. This is the first episode that we have actually recorded after we started putting out episodes. We released the episode. So um, I think we got seven uh, in the can and kind of released them, uh, not all at once, but over the course of the first few weeks. So first, thank you to everybody who has been listening. Um, I think as we've said over and over again, this is sort of a, a passion project and um, it's been really gratifying to see that it resonates with so many people. Uh, uh, you know, it, it also has brought a lot of old school phone nerds out of the woodwork, which yes. I'm really excited about. Yeah, it's been great to see you all. Thank you so much for those who have emailed and the people that have reached out on Twitter. It's been great. We saw some um, some photos, which are really cool. So if you've got any old pictures of your, uh, maybe it was your sidekick or your Blackberry or any of the other phones that we've discussed so far, really fun to see those. And thank you for reaching out and letting us know that we're not the only ones who care about the phones that time has forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> so this episode is a, uh, I think we're calling it a bonus episode. It, this may very well be our last episode, so brace yourselves. Uh, uh, but this is an episode we're going to talk about tablets. So not strictly, I mean, I know that we're kind of talking about if phones are in the title, right? Uh, but tablets uh, have had their own storied history. Uh, everyone obviously knows about the iPad and how successful it's been. But there was a whole uh a world, or maybe not a world, but maybe a, a moon of uh, tablets um, that uh, came out before uh, or before the iPad, and then sort of a few subsequent uh, devices. And there was some weird, some really weird and random stuff that people tried to build. Uh, very none of it which worked basically. Uh, and I think we're going to talk about them and, and uh, uh, touch on, I guess, want to start, I guess we could start by talking about a little bit of the early, early days of this stuff. Uh, there were a couple things that came out in, in 2001, like the uh, Intel had a web tablet called the Intel Pad, which was never wait, wait, wait. the iPad. 2001? Yeah. I mean, I so let's put it this way. Like, notes, right? <laughs> was, this, was this Intel Pad like pre- Department of Homeland Security or post Department of Homeland Security? Uh, it must have been pre because of the, um, I don't think the, the DHS was started until 2002, I think, right? Oh. After 9-11. Oh yeah, that's true. Okay. All right. So you, you squeaked in there. Okay. Pre Department of Homeland Security. Wow. That's ancient. Yeah. Um, and, and this is something that, um, uh, well, maybe it was called. They did review it as an iPad. I'm trying to remember now, but uh, essentially, it was uh, not not uh, surprisingly. Uh, uh, you know, there there were a few things which they were calling Internet appliances, and um, <laughs> these were uh, uh, random things that were meant, almost sort of meant to be like Internet terminals. Like they basically were just like a like kind of what, what like um, a Chromebook is now, but essentially just a web browser connected to the internet. But most of these things were uh, unusable. And uh, I remember Virgin, which had, I think, a dial-up internet service, made one. And it was like a little, this wasn't a, it was in a handheld. It was like a, a kind of like a, like a small desktop computer that had a modem uh, built into it and a dial-up modem. You could dial up and connect to their internet service. And it was pretty terrible. Underpowered device and really slow connection. Um, and so the Intel pad was one of these, like, 
uh, you know, devices, which was essentially just a, a web browser. Uh, they, I think they tagged it, tagged it as an internet, in, Intel web tablet. And um, not surprisingly, it, d- it didn't go anywhere. It did have pen-based input, but, but uh, at the time, remember, all this stuff was resistive. So it's not like the fancy capacitive stuff you get today. Correct. You know, um, I actually just went down a little a walk down my own memory lane while I was listening to you. And I, I, uh, okay, I found something on the internet, but it's from 2016. So it's probably more current. But around the time that this um, Intel web tablet came out, um, I was in high school. So I graduated from high school in 2003, right? And so um, in the summertime, I was in Virginia with my family we lived out there. And um, there's a restaurant or it's, restaurant is probably not an accurate term. There's a gas station. <laughs> That sells food. Have you ever been to this place called Wawa? Called Wawa? Like a convenience store? Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I mean, I think I've heard of the chain. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So yeah, it's like a convenience store, gas station, combo, grocery store type thing. And they have, um, they sell food ready made and also made to order. And in like 2000, 2001, my friends and I had this habit. We would go to Wawa and we would place our order but they actually took your order from a screen. It was like, if you have you been to Itza? No, but I'm familiar with it. Okay, so it was like that experience, but all the way back, like almost 20 years ago. Wow. And I'm wondering now, when you said like internet terminal, that's exactly what came to mind. Um, I, I can't remember if this was actually touchscreen or if you used buttons, but we it was very similar experience to what you would have at Itza today, or um, we all interact with touchscreen tablet devices in in commerce like all the time right yeah but it i think it just it was just interesting because um when i first went to itza i was like oh this is not innovative <laughs> <laughs> no shade if you work at itza if you're a founder or investor <laughs> the food is delicious but wawa did it first yeah anyway, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting to think about the precursors of this stuff because now that it's a lot a, a lot of these things are so commonplace we, we've got to take them for granted and forget a lot of the early attempts or misfires, which um, of which, again, with tablets, there were a number of, of uh, failed versions of this stuff that came oh, out. Oh, yeah. I mean, I guess one thing that's interesting is from the very beginning, there are clear value propositions that uh, make sense in like automated scenarios, like clearly automating um, transactions, for example, right? Yeah. And we continue to see that adoption in all kinds of different verticals. Um, but it really you know, it was much after 2001 that there was anything that became useful for like a personal device that you could use for entertainment and productivity and so forth. Yeah, it, it, it definitely it definitely took a while. And um, what is interesting is how, and I think we're, we're, we're going to end up, I think, talking about this is, is especially before the iPad, the tablet stuff, uh, it kind of bifurcated into either overpowered uh, PC uh, people trying to trying to make a, 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 a like a PC without a keyboard, basically that was sort mm-hmm. of overpowered, and then something that was uh, like like an underpowered, like a, a grossly underpowered PC, every, every uh, like something that was just didn't have the horsepower to really offer a truly great uh, mobile experience. Uh, yep. And um, uh, and I actually think the next two things I want to talk about highlight this really well. So it was two things from Microsoft that came out. Uh, one was 2001 and the next was uh, announced in 2002 and I think launched in 2003. And uh, and so people forget, but Microsoft actually introduced a tablet version of Windows called Windows XP Tablet PC Edition. 
uh, which is a very Microsoft way to name things. And this was uh, when they added pen input and uh, handwriting recognition to Windows. And uh, they uh, there were a whole bunch of laptops that came with this ability to have the screen sort of you know flip around and fold down, so you could use them like a slate, and uh, uh, and and with a with a pen for input, you know, like a stylus for input. Right. And, right. Um, you know, at the time, if you actually go back to the announcements uh, that Microsoft made around this time, I and mean, they they really pushed this as this is you know something that's going to be the big future. A lot of people, at Microsoft, uh, you know, started you know uh, uh, like Bill Gates would be seen you know sitting holding one and and writing into it. And you know, part of the problem was that, uh, especially if you think about how big laptops still were in two thousand one. Oh um, yeah. I mean, these were heavy uh, devices. And um, and again, uh, still not that powerful. Uh, I mean, obviously compared with what we have now. But uh, doing the the pen, doing the handwriting recognition and stuff like that, it just wasn't quite good enough uh, for the average person. And so it kind of didn't really go anywhere. And you can see the legacy of some of this stuff in the way Windows is designed now, and um, some of the uh, kind of touch. I mean, you know, they they obviously have baked a lot more. They they've added like a touch input interface, uh, which was, uh, you know, if you use like the surface or something like that, you, you, you kind of, um, you know, uh, default to, right. but, um, but this was like, this, this was not a, 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 for most, you know, I think when most people think about like a, a walking around with a, a, a computer and you do pen based input, it was not a great experience. Yeah, definitely not. Even, you know, I think there's a natural barrier for people in terms of tablet adoption. So I'm just thinking about, you know, once once we get a little further down the line and iPad came out and other tablets, um, competitive tablets came out and we were selling them um, with, we sold them with network connectivity at Verizon, like the first few generations. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a lot, like really common questions are things like, you know, what do I, I work on spreadsheets. How do I manage that on a tablet? And we're like, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> You don't. You probably shouldn't be using a laptop. <laughs> like, so um, back in the day, back at this point in time, it was really like the it was a lot clunkier. Like it just didn't. I'm I'm actually not really sure what the use, what the most valuable proposition would be for somebody to use a XP tablet PC edition. Like, why wouldn't you just use a laptop or a desktop? Oh well, I, I yeah. I, I mean, I think it was. Um at the time, if you wanted to do the, you know, pen-based input, there weren't that many other options. And, um, and there were certainly people that, that did want to do that. They wanted to either take notes by hand or they want to do drawing and things like that. But I, I, again, the, the, the laptops that came with it were all so heavy that it just was not, I think, a, a super viable experience. Uh, and, uh, and not surprisingly, you know, Microsoft definitely de-emphasized this stuff down the line. But again, in, in, uh, Kind of typical Microsoft fashion for for that era, they had a second tablet-like solution called Smart Display, and this one has almost been completely airbrushed out of history. And um, this was a Wi-Fi-enabled touchscreen tablet, almost like a like a portable LCD screen monitor, and it was a thin client. This was something that. Uh, you actually had to connect back to a, a desktop or a laptop, and um, and use uh, essentially uh, like remote desktop to connect back to your host PC, 
and um, it was almost sort of like a like a like a external wireless display for your host computer. It wasn't really a computer in its own right. So you couldn't just take this thing and throw it in your bag and leave the house and walk around with it. You actually had to use it within uh, Wi-Fi range of the host machine. And as such, you can imagine how uh, sluggish uh, and crappy that experience uh, could be. And Microsoft ended up, I think, launching it and then a little bit like the Kin, they launched it and then kind of quietly abandoned it just a few months later. Yeah, so the, um, the description on the Wikipedia page says, Smart Display was announced in early 2002, released early 2003, and discontinued in December of that year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it died really, really quickly. So I remember I actually got a preview of Smart Display before it was announced at, at Microsoft. Um, I, I went out there in, like, I think it must have been like September, October of 2002, so shortly before they announced it. And I remember the person presenting it uh, to the group. It was a group of like, you know, like 30 or 40 kind of press journalists, bloggers and things like that. It, it was clear at the time that they had lost um, uh, faith in this product. Um, and, and you could just sort of tell that like they were almost going through the motions uh, with it. it. It was really, uh, um, it was just obvious from, from the start. And, and one of the fav my favorite kind of, uh, you know, factoids about this is that uh, when the devices did hit the market, they were over a thousand dollars. Uh, yeah. So they weren't cheap. And uh, uh, essentially it was, um, you know, one of these things where nobody really, it just like, didn't didn't solve uh, the right problems for people and uh, end up getting killed. It did have, you know, the ability to do text input via, via stylus and, and all that stuff. But it was um, because it was connected over to 11B, you actually couldn't stream video over it. So you, you couldn't even just be like, well, like I use it as like a, a, a lightweight tablet for watching video or, or, you know, doing things like that. Like you couldn't do any of that stuff with it. So a, a, a big misfire. Um, something that I find interesting is after the demise of the smart display, Microsoft apparently, well, I guess it was, wasn't after I'm just like catching up with a wiki page, but it says that, um, you know, like you explained that it locked to the host PC. So you had to be within range of your host PC and the reason for this that Microsoft gave was due to licensing issues because Windows XP was licensed for one user per copy. So what's really interesting to me about that is like this is a classic example of when a company is like trying to launch a new product, but there's an issue with cannibalization yep. or an existing revenue model, which restricts the success of the new product. Yeah, it's a strategy tax. And um, it, it, it's it, you see this when one part of the business can't, execute the strategy it wants to because another part of the company has some other um, objective or wider strategy that everybody has to adhere to. And, um, you know, it's actually uh, just to put like, you know, our VC hat on, but uh, for, for a second, uh, <laughs> but when, you know, one of the things that I, I, I talk to startups about is when they have to compete against a really big company is that you really can't outcompete them in terms of uh, resources. And it's now harder to say like, well, we have like better engineers, better product people, stuff like that. Cause there's like so many talented people at, at Facebook and Google and Apple and Amazon. Now it's not like, you know, competing against IBM or something like that in the late nineties, um, where you have these sort of sluggish dinosaurs. And so, uh, but the thing I say is figure out the, the strategy tax that that company has to pay and do something that, that they can't do because it conflicts with their wider corporate goals or strategies. And, uh, and and play in that space. 
And, uh, you know, it's sometimes hard to figure out what that is, but, but if you can, if you can find it, it means that you don't have to go head to head with them in terms of throwing, you know, developers or engineers at something to to compete with them. Yeah, absolutely. This was um, something that we thought about a lot when I was on the Verizon team, the Verizon Ventures team, because we were investing in companies on what's known as like this three year or three horizon timeline, right? So um, in some cases, we were making business cases to invest in companies that could be considered directly competitive to Verizon, but for the purpose of helping the company move into a new strategic direction. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think I think your advice to startups is right on here. Um, and, and there's so much information that's available about large companies and what the, their strategy taxes are um, in their quarterly earnings reports. You can clearly see what their strategic priorities are, at least in the short term. And um, and I think that that's a great place. Like if a startup is wondering about that, that that's the first place I would say to look. Yeah. So anyway, if you're a founder. Yeah. How did we get here? here. Uh, (laughs) uh, All right. There's lessons to be learned from all this stuff, right? Yes. Uh, uh, Fast forward a few years, you know, there wasn't necessarily a ton of stuff in the, actually in the 2004, 2005 timeline, uh, which is uh, for us, the sort of, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time on those years talking about smartphones. Uh, In 2005, we did talk about the Nokia 770, which, uh, which ran Mamo, which was, pitches an internet tablet, didn't have a, a phone uh, rate, modem in it, a radio in it. And uh, I had one and I used it um, actually when I traveled to do like maps and stuff like that. Uh, but in 2006, there was something uh, which I bought called the Pepper Pad 3. I'm not sure what happened. Pepper to Pad. Pad. Do you remember this at all? I have never heard of this, but it reminds me of Iron Man. Oh, well, maybe it, came, it was inspired by that. Um, it's uh, okay. So this was, it had a seven-inch resistive touchscreen and had a split-screen keyboard. So it actually had a keyboard. And and uh, you had this sort of seven-inch screen in landscape mode and then uh, a keyboard on each side of it, like the, the, the QWERTY keyboard was split in two. So you had like half the keys on one side, half the keys on the other. And uh, it ran Linux and uh, it basically was uh, had ran uh, had a Firefox on it, and so it meant to be sort of like a web browser. You can run Firefox. I think you could listen to music and, and play some media, and there were some basic games and things like that. But again, it was severely underpowered and not that useful as a device uh, for a lot of things. I ended up buying one because uh, there, it was one of these things where it was on Amazon for for sale on Amazon, and I think they screwed up and listed it for like 25% of what it should have sold for. And so <laughs> I think me and, and a bunch of people at Engadget, we all ordered them because we were like, this is so nice. cheap. It's like $100 or $150 <laughs> or something like that. So we all bought them and we're all like, oh, that was that was dumb. Like we can't, this thing is terrible. Uh, and I felt bad because it was true kind of, you know, an indie hardware company. It wasn't from a big company. Uh, and uh, and the people that made it were uh, very, you know, passionate about it and, and um, uh, you know, wanted, they kind of saw it as like, they were building a, 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 trying to create a new line of these, of these things. I don't think they got much past the pepper pad three. There may have been a pepper pad four, uh, but the, um, it, you know, it, it was interesting to see how, uh, and, and I think the next couple, the next device after this that we'll talk about, uh, kind of was an extension of this. It was really, okay, how, uh, you know, how can we just have enough to give people like a decent browser experience? And, um, in 2008, I don't know, do you remember this story at all about the Crunchpad? Did you, had you heard about this before? I think so, yeah. Okay, so in 2008, uh, Michael Arrington, uh, who was the uh, founder uh, of TechCrunch and the editor at the time, um, 
posted that he wanted to build a basically a simple web tablet, which he wanted to sell for $200. That was the goal. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be just essentially like a screen, like a 10 inch screen or something like that. And um, just powerful enough to run um, Firefox, right? And um, and so he announced that he ended up uh, getting uh, contacted by a company in which is based in Singapore, I believe called Fusion Garage. And Fusion Garage said, hey, we'll partner with this and we'll build uh, we'll get this, you know, get this to market. And they had the connections with like the factories in Shenzhen and, and the develop, you know, the engineers who could build the, uh, uh, you know, I, I think they were doing like an embedded, kind of, kind of like the Pepper Pad, like an embedded Linux OS, which would run Firefox kind of on a shell on top of it and um, started working on it. And then everything came to a head in November, 2009, when Fusion Garage told Mike that, they were just doing this by themselves and that they were not never really partners and uh, and that uh, they were cutting Mike out of the whole thing. And we're, we're rebranding the product as the Juju, the J-O-O-J-O-O. Okay. Which, Can we talk about these early tablet brands? Because <laughs> like I Googled that pepper pad and what you get is like um, the first couple rows I see the pepper pad and then it's just rows after rows after rows of pad thai. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, it, it's, you really want people to, uh, it's like, get the uh, uh, better branding involved here. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah wait, uh, post about the pepper pad. Yeah, if, did you see the pictures of it? Yeah, it looks really great. And it's special, and it came in different colors too, which is kind of cool. Yeah. There, you can see like the Moto razor effect on it. Yeah, like you want it to be good, right? That's the thing. It, it, it's, it, I mean, for me, not to you know keep harping on this, but like I love the idea of having like a lightweight, portable device for doing this stuff, and and almost having something that's like you use around the house when you're sitting up to sit at a desk all the time. Right. And uh, um, and so I, I kept wanting this stuff to be good, um, and, and not, none of it was good. <laughs> Uh, but I was excited about I, I was excited about all this stuff. I was excited about you know heard about the Crunchpad because I, I you know the premise that uh, uh, was that there have been enough efficiencies in the consumer electronics um, you know industry supply chain that now you could build this stuff for relatively cheap. But like an independent hardware maker could come in and you didn't have to you know there was enough uh, uh, you know uh, enough options out there in terms of sourcing. Um, circuit boards and you know memory and displays and stuff like that that somebody could put this stuff together it didn't quite go out <laughs> the way it was supposed to yeah so um, what happened with the juju <laughs> so um uh so mike errington ended up suing them in 2009 december december 2009 and um fusion garage shipped the juju in spring of 2010 uh they sent me one and it was horrific oh it was bad juju buggy just hard to use slow uh and you know part of the 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 challenge is that by the time they they announced this um you know the ipad had been announced and and was i'm not trying to remember if they shipped before if did the ipad shift can't remember exact sequence now but it's around the same time and the ipad was just so much better uh and um, obviously it was more a lot more expensive uh, but not dramatically so, because I don't think they got it to the $200 price point. I think it was uh, more than that. But it just was not a good product. And um, it was clear that the, the, the guy who started Fusion Garage was, I mean, he was shady. Um, 
the, the whole thing that they did with, you know, backstabbing, uh, you know, Mike Harrington, it just, it was just a, it was a bad scene. And, um, you know, they ended up then trying to later on, like a year or two later, trying to ship another tablet called the grid, which ran on Android. And then they were going to ship like a phone and they had this own, their own skin on top of Android and all this stuff. And it was just like, all of it was just really, really bad. And, um, it, it ended up, I mean, it, at the time it was definitely like a punchline, like, a, like a, uh, you know, like a, a, like an example of like how this stuff can go really, really wrong. And I would say the only other example like that, that like this from that era was the, uh, the Gizmondo. Do you remember this one at yes. all? It was not a tablet, yes. a game console. Yes. And, um, the Gizmondo was, uh, setting aside the fact that they ripped off the name Gizmodo, like I'll let that slide. Uh, the Gizmondo <laughs> was, it, it was basically like a, um, like, again, like a scam in the form of a portable game console. They had this, like they were going to ship with all these amazing games and all this stuff. They ended up shipping. It was like overpriced, underpowered, not very many great titles. And then do you remember the story about how the, uh, like the founder got in this like crazy accident with his Lamborghini and then like fled the scene or something and like ended up getting arrested for fraud. And it was like a whole, like, yeah, I don't, I don't even know, I don't even know if they ended up in prison or something like that. I have it a vague like, recollection of that. Just like, as soon as I hear the word Gizmondo, I think like train wreck disaster, but I would, I would just like to say like, um, honorable mention to the folks behind the naming conventions of the pepper pad, the juju and the Gizmondo. Because <laughs> <laughs> what a bright moment in the history of consumer electronics. Yeah. It, it's just like, it's <laughs> nuts. Um, and by the way, it was a Ferrari, not a, not a Lamborghini. Oh yeah. Good the, set the record straight there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm just looking this up now. It's, uh, the, the, the director of the company was uh, involved with the Swedish mafia, which, <laughs> which is like What's maybe that? the least intimidating sounding mafia as you can imagine. Are they like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not even going like, to go there. Like, uh, yeah, I'm part of the mafia. It's like, oh, what? what? You know, like Swedish mafia. You're like, oh, come on, man. Like, how, how tough can you be? Like they all ride um, up on bikes. <laughs> Um, we're all very polite. Um, uh, anyway, the um, happiest mafia on earth. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so it wasn't really until obviously we're not going to talk talk too much about the iPad, but I think the iPad is this turning point, right? Where yeah. somebody ships a tablet that is that works. I still have my original iPad; it mm -hmm. still works. Mm -hmm. uh, I mainly, you know, um, it, it. I mainly let my kids use it because it is so like they haven't. It, has, it hasn't even. I think it's still on like I, it hasn't never updated past uh, uh, OS iOS six. Mm -hmm. So there's just like a lot of things they can't do with it, which is kind of good. Yeah. Um, like YouTube doesn't work on it. <laughs> uh, um, but, uh, but I think that that was like the inflection point, right? Similar to like the iPhone where like a lot of stuff starts to work and um, uh, we start to see the bigger companies, which are uh, other players in mobile start to come out with their answers to the iPad. And that's where we saw a lot of, well, how, how would you describe these, these things that I, that came out? Most of them did not, did not work out so well. Yeah. I actually real quick, before we talk about them, I have a question for you about the iPad. Um, yeah. do you know, was this the first with a capacitive touchscreen? The first tablet? Yeah. Uh, I, that is a really good question because there hadn't been that many tablets before then. So it may have been the first with a capacitive uh, touchscreen. There certainly were some things like um, uh, that were not 
tablets as much as they were media portable media players. Right. And there is a whole unit. I mean, we could do a whole episode about the whole like PMP scene. Oh yeah. Uh, the portable media players. Oh my like, gosh. Yes. The creatives then uh, had a whole line of of you know PMPs and uh, uh, there was like a, whole, a ton of them that uh, were were around. All of which have died, but um, I do have to give a shout out to my favorite, which was the. Um, Oh, I can't believe I'm gonna. Uh, I'm gonna. The arc. It was the uh, Arcos G- Gemini. Gemini. I think it was no G. The G Mini. Like, like Gemini Cricket. Like G M I N I. I I know. Um, this thing. I loved this thing. So it was like the size of an i an iPod, but it had a uh, it had a color screen. Uh, I think it was like a two and a half inch screen or something like that. And you could play video on it. And, um, you know, I, I would just carry it around. And I remember I watched, uh, um, I remember I watched like a, a season of, of Lost actually on it. Um, man, okay. A lot of side, this might be our last episode, so we have to get it all in. Yes. Uh, but, but so this thing had a 2.2 inch, 220 by 176 pixel screen. Hey, how uh, much did it cost? 250 bucks. Okay. All right. Not bad. Cause compared, cause comparatively you would have had to buy a portable DVD player, which was the same price. Yeah. Yeah. At this point in time. And, and you could, um, uh, I can't remember all the codecs it supported, but you could, um, uh, you know, transfer, you could, you know, transfer video files onto it. And, and so I would just like, you know, torrent like see episodes of lost and then to watch it on here. And, um, which, you know, watching it on a two inch screen was kind of pathetic. But, um, Depends on but how you look cool. at it. Early adopter, early adopter. Um, but I remember, you know, because so few people knew about this thing. And again, I, I, I loved it. Uh, uh, you know, I remember being like in a plane and I was watching something on the, the Jiminy. It was a 402. <laughs> there was a 400. I can't remember exactly which one I had. I had the 400 or the 402. Uh, and, um, and the guy next to me had a Nomad, like the, the, like the big giant MP3 player. It was like the size of a Walkman. And um, and I remember him looking at his gigantic audio only MP3 player. And um, and then my like thing, which is like the size of an iPod and I'm watching a video on it. And he was just like, whoa, why, why? Like, where do I get one of those? Uh, it was pretty, uh, I was, you know, I was very, it was like one of those like pure gadget envy moments. that I was really, uh, um, you know, feel, feeling pretty like, uh, like I was pretty cool at the time. Um, so, okay. <laughs> you were uh, cool, Peter Rojas. You were cool. Yeah, I, was, I was cool. Um, okay. So we get into the, the, the post iPad era. And, um, I think we're gonna talk about, we should talk about Samsung, which yes. they came out with their first tablet, the galaxy tab. Yes. But now there's a whole line of them, yes. but I had one launched, uh, September, 2010. So a few months after the iPad had, uh, the, the biggest differentiator is it has seven inch screen versus the, I think it was the 9.7 inch screen of the iPad. iPad. So it was more portable. Yep. Uh, it ran Android. Yep. And, um, and it also had uh, um, 4G, uh, I think as an option in it. So it was sold mainly by the carriers. Yep. And, Can um, confirm. Yes. Verizon had a version, right? Yes. I sold them out of a kiosk in a mall in Salinas, California. Um, and I joke now. Wait, you- you, have you held this yeah. until this episode? Oh, what? That I used to sell at the kiosk in Salinas? 
Yes. Oh, I guess so. Yeah, that was that was all my territory. Like, actually, I'm headed to Fresno in a little bit. Um, not like tonight or whatever, but I was just talking. Not to sell tablets. Yeah. No, no, tablets in Fresno, tablets in Salinas, tablets in Watsonville, tablets all over Northern <laughs> California. <laughs> so, so you saw. So, did people were did people buy them? Uh, not really. No. <laughs> yeah, it was like, um, we definitely had a lot of focus on selling these. And at this time, I was like, uh, basically, uh, the best way to describe my role was I was like a district manager. And I had stores all up the coast of like the, uh, like near the Monterey Bay, and then inland, like Salinas, Watsonville and Gilroy. And um yeah, you know, we 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 had a sales um, performance metric, which was that if we didn't have a certain volume of tablets, the managers of the lo- of those locations, like a volume of tablets sold, the managers of the locations would have to um, get on like a penalty conference call and explain their action plan for selling more tablets. So we literally like we tried all kinds of things to move Galaxy Tabs and Motorola Zooms from the kiosk in Salinas. So shout out, if you have ever been to the Northridge Mall, hit me up because um, I think we sold one one of these tablets and I was so thankful because it got us off of that call, which was a pain in the butt. <laughs> I mean, I so I had one. I mean, they sent, they obviously sent it to me um, for review and um, I kind of liked it actually, but it was, it was a good size, and I, I think it showed that uh, when Apple did the iPad Mini, that it was a a, a size that did work for people. Uh, you know, being able to have something that's a little more portable, a little more handheld, and um, you know, I, I mean, I, I wish that Apple would do an iPad Mini that supported the pencil, right, for doing the 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 you know note taking uh, input. Um, but um, you know, it, this was, I think. Uh, I think of all of the sort of initial reactions to the iPad from the big phone makers, I think this is probably the one that has been the, had the most successful legacy and that Samsung continues to put out Galaxy Tab, uh, you know, uh, tablets in a variety of different sizes. And I think it's probably, I mean, given how much the, ta- the market for Android tablets has kind of evaporated over the past few years, I think it's one of the few that has any, um, you know, sells at any sizable. Yeah. And they're, they're great devices. Like actually, um, my husband is an Android user. And so I got him a galaxy tab for a gift a few years ago and he still uses it every day. It's up, it's up to date. I think it has the latest version of Android on it now. So, um, he likes it. I was like, do you want, do you want a new one? And he said, no, because he has the current version of software. So (laughs) (laughs) you know, they, they make them really, uh, um, they're really well. They, they're really well made, and they use. Uh, uh, they usually. I mean, depending on the uh, some of the lower end ones, or maybe not. But like, they tend to have really high quality screens because yeah. Samsung, um, you know, makes a, makes a lot of their own screens, and and they tend to be very high quality. Uh, I mean, the rest of the market is. I mean, basically everybody else has sort of dropped out. I know Lenovo still makes Android tablets. I don't talk about the U.S. market. Chinese market's totally different. But, Correct. Um, uh, but there were a handful of others. And I think we'll talk about the Zoom. I think we're trying to go in, in chronological order, but um, we got to talk about the touchpad. All right, let's do it. So the HP touchpad. Oh, man. This was, now we've talked about, we talked about the Palm, about Palm, the Palm Pre, we talked about WebOS, and uh, look, things didn't work out for Palm, right? They, they re- tried to reboot with WebOS. They were just too late. They made a bunch of strategic 
mistakes like the the pre launch is a sprint exclusive and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So the company ended up getting acquired by HP and HP initially seemed committed to putting out, uh, continuing to put out WebOS phones and, and, uh, uh, and hardware. And there was a device that was in the works, a tablet called the touchpad that uh, was, it had been in the works before uh, HP bought Palm, which happened in February of, of uh, 2011. And um, they ended up launching it. Uh, it was announced February, announced, no, it was announced February 2011, uh, which is recently, soon after HP bought Palm. I'm getting the sequence a little bit wrong. Uh, this is going to run WebOS 3.0, so through a version of the software. Uh, starting at $500, had like the iPad at the time, a 9.7 inch uh, 1024 by 768 uh, pixel screen. And here is, there's this like a recurring theme, I think, on, on our show where launched July 1st, killed August 18th. <laughs> so yeah, that was fast. That's like, I mean, I don't even think the kin was killed off that quickly. Well, uh, they took the fail fast mentality to heart there. Yeah, And uh, uh, so it was a really fast uh, uh, you know, decision by HP to, to kill off WebOS. They're not gonna put any more of the devices. The day after they announced that, August 19th, uh, they announced that they're going to just sell off all the remaining stock of the touchpads for $99. Wow. And it set up this feeding frenzy of people trying to buy them, including me, uh, became obsessed with trying to buy one. And so I remember like driving around to like Best Buys. Uh, I was in Marin at the time. Uh, I think we're, uh, my wife and I were staying with her parents and um, uh, or visiting her parents. And so we're like, okay, we're going to go and like drive around and try to find um, a touchpad at a Best Buy. Couldn't find one, ended up ordering one online got it. And then was like, why did I buy this? <laughs> uh, <laughs> like a pepper pad. It's like, it's such a great deal. And then you realize like, okay, it's not as good as the iPad uh, that I just got, um, which now is, uh, um, you know, they had come out with like the iPad two, which was even better than the first one. And, um, and I ended up rooting the device and putting Android on it. <laughs> oh, uh, how was that? It was actually not bad. And the thing about it was WebOS at that, you know, was, was clearly, dying uh, or, you know, if it wasn't already dead and, and people were not really developing that much for it anymore. And uh, after they decided to kill off the line of hardware. And so Android seemed like a, a, a good way to keep it viable and useful. And um, I ended up giving it to a friend of mine who wanted a tablet and, you know, was happy to have something that ran Android. And so I gave it to him and he enjoyed it and, you know, was not because uh, I just paid a hundred bucks for it. It wasn't like that big a deal to you know, give it away. Right, so. right. All right, so then now I think we have something on the docket. So actually, before we talk about the next one, I think something that's interesting here is like, this episode is kind of like a microcosm of the season that we've yeah. had so far. <laughs> because like, effectively, Apple came out and changed the landscape considerably. Everyone else was in the loop. Like they knew there was a way, there was a clear way that things were headed. But I don't, I don't know if it's safe to say that anyone was prepared to compete with the exception of maybe Samsung. Well, it's um, the the thing that I think kept keeps happening is that um, it, everyone you know like before the iPad, uh, people got something wrong, right? Either they got the form factor wrong, or they got the uh, the interface wrong, or they or the device was underpowered. And then I think after the iPad, they're sort of doing this catch up game and just lagging a little bit behind and not getting a lot of the little details right around. 
uh, how the software and the hardware integrates and, and, uh, and really thinking about the developer ecosystem and how important that's going to be to the devices. Uh, and actually, I think that there's nothing that better uh, uh, exemplifies this than Blackberry's long lost, lost to history uh, tablet, the playbook, which it's funny, like I completely forgot about it until we started working on this show. And even at the time, I, I actually had to make sure, I had to look it up to make sure I had it in t- like imagined that this was a thing. And I went to the launch event. Pretty <laughs> sure you and every um, salesperson inside of the business to business channel, <laughs> they're still dreaming for it. They're still wishing for it. All those people that sold Bez servers and didn't want to position Android tablets were counting on this playbook for their quotas and they didn't make it. <laughs> uh, so this one, it was uh, released in April of 2011. And it ran, it didn't run, strictly speaking, the BlackBerry uh, OS. Uh, it ran BlackBerry Tablet OS, which was based on Qnix Neutrino, which was another, actually an, an embedded OS often used in uh, cars, because it, it's actually very stable. And um, this was uh, kind of like the Galaxy Tab 7-inch display, uh, 2024 uh, by 600 resolution. Um, Wait, did I write hella thick bezels in the notes here, or did you write that? You wrote, you wrote okay. that, but maybe we're on the same wavelength. Yeah, uh, it, it, like really thick bezels. Uh, and then this also initially, which is kind of crazy, it required you to to have a BlackBerry to use the email and calendar apps on the um, on the tablet. So if like let's say you were for some reason uh, an Android or iPhone user and you wanted to use one of these. You couldn't do email on it. Uh, you had to use the uh, uh, the BlackBerry apps and sync it with your phone. And and they argued at the time. Do you remember this? It was a security thing, so that yeah. if you had a tablet, uh, you know, you wouldn't have to worry about your email or calendar being compromised. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you sold a lot of these. Yeah, I mean, there was real demand for it. That was the bummer. People, because yeah. people were still really loyal to BlackBerry, especially in enterprise space. And um, yeah, I mean, yep, yeah, it's we couldn't deliver it. We didn't deliver it. BlackBerry didn't deliver it. It was a bummer. Yeah, I, I just remember um, <sighs> the the they they really wanted to build their own you know app ecosystem here, and they used. Uh, something called Adobe Air, which is supposed to be this cross-platform runtime. So you could sort of, the idea was you could build an app for Adobe Air and it could run anywhere that had Adobe Air installed on it. So that was also, I mean, there were desktop Adobe Air apps and, you know, this would be like the mobile version of it. Uh, But the stuff was just tended to be really sluggish. uh, Yes. I remember at the time. Like another phone that was out around this time, like the Storm. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it, it wasn't. It wasn't a good time for BlackBerry. Yeah, this it was. It was, it was rough, uh, and um, obviously this did not sell very well. And uh, uh, BlackBerry, since well, they've abandoned a lot of stuff over uh, since at this time, but they did come out with a version with that had LTE in, in August of uh, 2012. And was that a Verizon exclusive to launch, or was that just anybody across the board for carriers? Do you remember? Yeah, we. I remember the marketing materials. I remember putting together the go-to-market plan for it. Um, we were excited about the playbook. And then it was like, it was interesting. I remember we had go-to-market meetings with our product calendar and the playbook was there. 
then it got pushed, then it got pushed. <laughs> I mean, I'm not kidding when I think it was probably pushed for a year or it was really like we kept holding on to it. We kept it on the playbook. And that's why I think it, it has it's like what you said about whether or not you imagined it. Um, because I remember we had announced a, lo- a release date. So people were talking to their customers about it. And there were a lot of customers who were using like the BlackBerry Bold, for example, at this time. Yeah. And they were really looking forward to it. And they were actually, because they were enterprise clients, they were okay with like requiring the BlackBerry for email and calendar sync because they like to have a lot of control over their employees um, yeah. and data usage and so forth. So, you know, um, it just didn't happen. It was like the mirage out uh, out there in front of you at the horizon that just never comes to be. The water doesn't ever appear in the desert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and and um, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't at least mention the. Um, I guess we talked a little about the folio, the Palm Folio, yes. uh, a couple episodes ago. But uh, the folio did have a similar uh, premise. I mean, this was their sort of. It was like a a, a laptop that Palm introduced, uh, which you could only use in conjunction with a trio, uh, with, with a phone. Um, and uh, obviously that didn't work out. They killed it actually pretty quickly. Um, I think even before they launched it, actually they killed it off. But, um, you know, I, I think that there was this moment before cloud computing really took off where um, keeping your information in sync was a really, really complicated problem for around email, right? I, I think when email was something that people just did on one computer, it wasn't that hard, right? You could just have the email locally and, and you had your archive on your desktop and obviously you hope that your computer didn't get wiped out or something like, you know, lost uh, or, or uh, corrupted, but that was how it worked. You didn't store your email in the right. cloud, um, especially for enterprise. I mean, obviously things like Hotmail and, and, and Gmail, you know, started to change that. But for most people, you know, enterprise, uh, uh, that it was something that that you know stuff was stored locally, and then obviously with like you know the BlackBerry like uh, uh, you know email server stuff started to change that right. Where like then it would be stored in this device uh, on the corporate server, uh, but then you still had this whole thing around like making sure that everything stayed in sync across your devices, and that was actually like a tricky right. problem. Right, that's part of what was BlackBerry's competitive advantage at one point was the fact that you like on your device you could get your email in effectively real time, pretty close to real time. Yeah. 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 And, and it would say synced up with like, you know, the, the exchange, uh, you know, the email client that you had on your computer, right. For, on your phone. Yes. Uh, and, uh, and I think we forget that that was a really hard problem to solve. hundred percent. And <laughs> also like, I could be m- misremembering this, but I feel like, um, with BlackBerry exchange server, if you opened an email, I, maybe this is not that novel of a feature, but I remember really being really impressed by it. If you open an email on your phone, it would be marked as red on your desktop. Yeah. yeah. Which was like, yeah. I was and, like, wow, this is amazing. That was a big deal. <laughs> no, that was, that was a big deal. Uh, and we take it for granted now. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, and, and so I think that like around this time this, that we see these sort of tethered solutions, right. Where, where the one device is sort of, uh, uh, um, you know, tethered to another to keep everything in sync, partly for security reasons, but also partly just to keep the data syncing issues, uh, you know, easier to, to, to address. Um, and so, you know, it's why you can sort of understand the thinking around the playbook, but um, I think it also just, you know, didn't recognize where the world was going. And, um, you know, the playbook did add native 
email and calendar apps. Um, it, it did take a while. And uh, so they eventually got there. But man, um, we got to talk about the Zoom. I've been waiting to talk about the Zoom this entire Me too. Show because I, I, well, I, specifically because I want to hear your <laughs> stories about this one. Um, okay, so introduced February 2011. Again, I, this is one where I went to the, I remember going to the launch event for it. And um, uh, it was kind of, it was the first uh, um, tablet to run uh, the version of Android, which is Honeycomb Android 3.2, which was specifically designed for uh uh, version manager specifically designed for tablets. The the Galaxy Tab basically just ran the smart the kind of the well, there's only one version of Android at the time, but it's like it was just like a blown up smartphone right. Right. interface. This one had uh, a interface that was sort of designed specifically for the screen of a the larger 10.1 inch screen of a tablet, and uh, had some like desktop like screen widgets and things like that stuff that were, weren't available for the, uh, the the phone at the time, and. Um, and it's funny because now there's, you know, Android has sort of collapsed back into just one version of Android. But, uh, you know, it seemed like it was going to kind of fork into like being like tablet Android and, um, you know, smartphone Android. And, uh, and, and this, you know, the Zoom uh, was Motorola's kind of big answer to this, just like the Droid was their answer to the iPhone. Yes. And so... Verizon was the exclusive partner for the Zoom for the cellular version. Can confirm. Yeah. <laughs> and so, high hopes, right? Yeah, I think so. It was interesting because iPad was already out on the market, and um, we had already like seen. You know, I've talked before in the episodes about what a roller coaster it was like to be inside Verizon when iPhone was ex- exclusive to AT and T, right? Um, so the time when the Zoom came out, we had actually been carrying the iPad for a little bit, um, but the iPads that we were carrying did not have cellular. So we would sell the iPad in combination with a product at the time it was called a MiFi. Um, I think they're called Jetpacks now, but they're, you know, like the little Wi-Fi puck. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, if yeah. you bought an iPad, yeah. you could buy it with a MiFi or you could buy it just Wi-Fi yeah. only, right? So by the time the Zoom came out, I would say the way I would describe it is we were in this like transitionary time where uh, with this concept of connected devices. So it was really transitioning away from the concept of only selling phones and smartphones and exploring what it meant to sell other types of devices that were connected to the network. And um, there's a lot of interest in like IoT, for example. So around the same time, I want to say like the Philips Hue light bulbs first started coming out, I might be a little bit off, maybe yeah. about six or nine months. But that was kind of where we were shifting in our mindset. Instead of only helping somebody with their primary device, now there was this concept of Verizon that you would help people with, you know, all aspects of their life as much as we could provide connections. Yeah. Like, so, they, so yeah. their goal was like, let's have more than one connection per person, right? So Zoom came along, there was a lot of love for Android and there still is um, at Verizon. And so there was a lot of excitement about this device. And I remember, um, I think there were there were like these employee promos where you could get it for like $3.99 with a contract subsidy. And I remember logging on to order it and then like hesitating with my fingers like, <laughs> like hovering above the order screen. Cause I was like, do I yeah. really want a two year contract? <laughs> so ultimately i didn't end up getting it but that's because um through work we ended up with like some training units and so i was like i have access to one i don't need to purchase one out of my own pocket 
Um, and you know, it was cool. Like the honeycomb experience was pretty cool. Uh, people, the employees really liked it. I'm not sure there was really a lot of consumer demand for it. I'm not sure that it could really compete with iPad. Um, and pretty soon after, pretty soon after we launched the Zoom, we had the iPad with native connectivity, and we had the Galaxy yeah. Tab line was continuing to release new devices. So, womp womp womp. Yeah, I mean the Zoom yeah. kind of. I think they did a Zoom two, uh, a couple more, but um, you know, the thing I liked about it is it had that kind of black metal finish. Yeah. To it, which was nice. I, I, I mean, I liked, I liked it. It was definitely. Uh, I think at the time it had a higher resolution display than the iPad uh, two at the time. Not like a lot higher, but just a little bit higher. And um, I think it was the the third iPad ended up getting Retina. Uh, yeah was like much better than, you know, anything else that was out there. Um, but, uh, but at the time I thought it was, you know, not, not a bad, not a bad device. Uh, again, it was slightly, slightly sluggish <laughs> and, uh, which I think is a problem for a lot of these things where, uh, that was a corner that gets cut. It seems like that's the, a, a running theme here around a lot of these tablets is, uh, most of them are just a little underpowered for what, uh, for what people would expect. I, I did want to note something that was announced alongside the Zoom, which again fits into the other theme about the tethered devices here, which was um, there was a uh, a laptop dock for, there's a phone called the Atrix, which they introduced an Android phone, which had a laptop dock. And um, it was essentially like a, a little lightweight shell, like a keyboard and a screen that looked like a laptop. And you it didn't have any CPU or anything in it or memory. You had to like plug your phone into it. It had a little dock in the back where you can pop the phone in. And um, and rest sort of sit behind the screen, and then you could uh, uh, it would open up a um, like a laptop specific kind of interface where you could uh, you know you could open apps and browser and and stuff like that and use your phone kind of like a laptop. It was really interesting. Yeah, we actually sold these. My dad had one too. It's cool, right? Yeah, like in fact. Um, I, I was just looking up to see what the what the name is of the phone on Verizon. It was Droid branded. I don't think it was called Atrix. Um, What's it not called Atrix? What was it called? I think it was just maybe Droid Ma Bionic. Bionic. No, That's no, probably. it wasn't. It wasn't the Bionic. No? no, the Bionic was another phone. Okay. I think they sold. I think they sold it as the as the, um, the Atrix. Yeah, as the Atrix. Anyways, um, so I got it for my dad and. When it came time to upgrade him, he was like, I'm not upgrading unless you can get me a phone that has a laptop, that I can put <laughs> my laptop. I was like, dad, that's not a thing. <laughs> like it was a thing one time and it's not a thing anymore. Yeah, like they, they didn't do it anymore after that. But it was actually really cool. Like he, because he travels quite a bit and he did at that time too. And so he would just take his phone and then this laptop shell and the, it was the Bionic on Verizon looking now, but it had, um, you know, no, I, I don't think, yeah. I, are you sure? Because I, I thought that the Bionic, the Bionic was a different device. Um, it says on wiki that Bionic was the first one to use Ryzen's 4G LTE network. Yeah. But, but it wasn't, but it wasn't designed for use with the dock. I, I had, I had, the, I remember having the droid. I don't it know. Was I had to look it was introduced that. around the same time as the Atrix, but I'm pretty sure uh, uh, Verizon sold it as the Atrix. Okay. The Bionic was a different, no, it definitely was. Mo Motorola yeah. Droid Bionic Laptop. 
Lap dock. That's what this thing was called, a lap dock. Wow. <laughs> yes, that's right, lap dock. But the, bionic, the Atrix and the the Atrix and the yep. Droid were two, the Bionic were two different phones, though. Two different phones for yeah. sure. Yeah. So this must have just been like Motorola's attempt at reaching the, you know, leveraging the Droid brand at getting this thing out there. Maybe they had a different, a separate lap dock. Hold on. I love the title of this um, article. Oh, you know what it is? They, they did a laptop also for the Bionic. Not That's what it is. all Motorola laptops are created equal. Droid Bionic <laughs> owners beware. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, I, I know the person who wrote that article. Um, okay, so it looks like the Atrix dock and the Bionic dock had um, flipped um, ports. So HDMI yeah. and micro USB were flipped backwards. So you, they weren't compatible with the different <laughs> <laughs> Nice work, everybody. <laughs> uh, okay, so so I have a story about the the Atrix, the lap dock, where um, I I did I did a couple trips where I just brought the phone in the lap dock because mm -hmm. um, the lap dock was really lightweight, right? Uh, and so because uh, it didn't have a battery or anything in it, and so it was so lightweight that I uh, left it behind going through security at the Seattle airport at SeaTac. Oh no! And I get home and I realize. Oh, man, I left this behind. And so I call up the airport and, uh, and they, you know, get me to the lost and found department for the security, uh, line TSA or whatever. And they're like, Oh yeah, we, we, we you know, I, so I, I call up the, the woman that the, some woman answers and uh, I say, Hey, I, I lost, um, you know, a Motorola laptop. And she said, I never seen a Motorola. Laptop. <laughs> <laughs> they don't make, they don't make laptops. I'm like, Look, I, I know this sounds crazy, but like, <laughs> you, like just, uh, you know, just could you take a look? And so she takes a look and she finds this thing and she says, okay, I got to prove that it's yours. Uh, I'm going to turn it on and uh, you tell me what comes up on the screen when, and it, you're when, like... uh, when you fire it up. I was like, well, <laughs> let me explain. Like, you need the phone. Like you have to plug the phone in the back. Otherwise it's not going to power on. And, uh, and, and I don't remember how I can, and she's like, well, how are you going to prove that this is yours? And I'm like, well, one, like, you know, what are the, because, you know, it is, I just realized after this, that like, if you wanted a free laptop, your best bet is probably to call up lost and found offices at airports and be like, Hey, I lost my MacBook. Oh my you gosh. <laughs> uh, and so she was like, really like, well, you know, if you got to tell me like what the password is, what, it, you know, like what, what's, what comes when I power this on, like what happens and what's the username that comes up and, you know, stuff that like would be reasonable questions to ask of a laptop, but for this thing, uh, there was no way to, uh, to do any of that. And so I ended up somehow convincing her. I think I actually maybe had the serial number. Wow. Somewhere. Yeah. That makes sense. Actually, if you had the box, you would have had the serial number. Yeah, I had the box. Exactly. Yeah. And so I had the serial number. And so I figured it out. And, uh, and then the other thing we're like, okay, every day, like, you know, UPS comes and if you give, put down a credit, give us a credit card number, like they'll, uh, you know, they'll charge you to ship it back to you. Uh, and that's how I got it back. Uh, at which point I completely lost interest in using it. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I mean, I liked it, but it was also like, okay, it's not, you know, it's like having like a really cruddy laptop. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, but, um, you know, it's been, it, it's been interesting how this has not been, um, again, I think because of, of, you know, cloud computing, it, it's not necessarily worth it to have one device that you use in sort of different modes that kind of powers everything. It ends up just being easier just to have like different devices that all sync into the same cloud apps uh, because then you don't have anything that's, you don't like, you know, like, like rather than having like 
a great phone and a really underpowered laptop. You just have like a great phone and like a laptop, right? Like a good enough laptop or, you know, I mean, I mainly travel now with an iPad and a keyboard mm-hmm. uh, and a laptop because, you know, for the things I need to do, like email and, you know, a few other things, like it's all there, it's good enough. And it's, uh, you know, a, a good enough alternative. So I think this sort of was like the end of when people, try, I think this is like the end of the line for a lot of these tethered solutions. Not that Samsung is still pushed, you know, Samsung still has something that they're pushing. And occasionally you'll see these like Kickstarter projects for laptop, lap docs, I guess we're calling them. Uh, but other than that, there's not like, like it's sort of like a, like a branch of the evolutionary tree that has largely died out. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think um, I, I was just like reflecting and I think the lap doc thing is actually a really cool peripheral. Um, and I think there would still be a market if there was one, if there was a way to create lap docs for a phone, for phones in the same layer sense that we have like Mophie cases and other things. But one of the challenges with the concept was that it was device specific. And like with Android, you have such high amount of device fragmentation. But the concept of being able to like, like exactly what you're saying, just being able to travel with one device and um, work through that device and have it sync back through the cloud to whatever um, other devices you're using is a huge convenience. And I think in many ways, like the cloud, the development of the cloud was in parallel with the advancement in technology from a network perspective and from a hardware perspective. And it really has transformed our lives in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, I mean, it can't be underestimated. And I, and I think that it's one of the, the things that I think for the average, you know, user, the 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 in the changes, the transformation that happened in the mobile industry on the hardware side, on the device side, uh, and even on the app side, right, on the software side and the OS side, that's really apparent. But I think all of the improvements and changes uh, that happened on the cloud computing side, you know, all all that stuff also had to happen for, you know, it has to get to the world of the mobile, the world of mobile we have today, right? Yep. Um, and, and for our expectations. And that is less uh, like apparent or at least obvious to, you know, the average person, because there's no reason why it necessarily should be. But I think that, you know, we've, we've really seen, um, you know, a lot of the, the kind of services and applications and experiences that we take for granted without that backend stuff happening. Um, none of it would really work. I mean, Again, when we started this series, um, maybe this is to wrap it up, but but it was really like a like this almost like hub and spoke model. I mean, if you go back to actually, you know, um, Steve Jobs' announcement of the iPod in uh, two thousand, uh, what's that? It would have been like two thousand one or two thousand two. Two thousand one, yeah. I was um, like, I I'm graduating from high school. Please, can I just have an iPod? And my parents were like, <laughs> haha. Yeah, <laughs> his original presentation talked about how the PC was becoming this digital hub, right? And you would have all these devices that connected to it, like iPods and, and things like that. And they, they were all synced to the PC. The PC was the hub, was the home. And so that was his vision, right? Was to transform the, the Mac into the best hub for this new ecosystem of devices that people are gonna wanna connect to and, and get their, you know, uh, and, and get media from and stuff like that. And, um, and, and everything was about syncing. I mean, you know, we talk about those first era of smartphones, but, uh, I remember, you know, if you want to install an app or update your calendar or any of that stuff, that all had to be done syncing with your desktop. And not syncing wirelessly, like literally syncing with with a cable. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I remember 
um, you know, buying like a really fancy Trio 600 dock um, because like it was such like, a, I was like, I do this so often that I want to have like a great dock I can just pop my phone in and out of. Uh, and, uh, and of course, remember they all had their own unique um, mutually incompatible connectors. <laughs> like everybody had their own proprietary connector at the time. We, we, we forget how much uh, USB, micro USB changed the game for connectors and now USB-C C potentially being a universal connector that everybody, even Apple uses. Uh, but, um, but now, you know, that has all changed, right? This model of like the, P the PC is like, you know, going away. And I don't know if you saw this news the other day that, um, you know, Apple's thinking about breaking up the iTunes app into a bunch of different things. Maybe there'll be like a podcasting app and different things. And it feels like that's great, but almost like a few years after anybody really cares because, you know, the average, you know, at least iPhone user is not syncing their phone to their, you know, Mac or their PC uh, you know, except maybe to do the occasional like backup, um, of their device. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would know, welcome that because yeah. as an Apple music subscriber that has no, literally no iTunes library, um, there's a lot of opportunity to improve the mobile experience. Yeah. And well, I'm talking about the, on the desktop side though, they're going to uh, unbundle iTunes on the desktop. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so it, it'll be really interesting to see like what they, what, you know, what they end up doing there, but it's like, you know, it feels like we're at the sort of, um, you know, tail end of uh, of what was, you know, I guess like 16, 17 years of, uh, of transformation. Uh, before we wrap things up, though, uh, and again, this might be our last episode, I feel like we have to note, or at least I wanted to note something that I thought was kind of ironic about us starting off the premise of this show, show being that phones had gotten really boring and stale. <laughs> And then, of course, as we introduced this series a couple months ago, we're recording now uh, in, in mid-April uh, of 2019, all these folding phones start getting introduced. Yes. And, uh, and I'm like, hold on. Now things are getting weird again. Yeah. And I kind of love it. In fact, the day that we're recording, uh, I think, or maybe, no, maybe it's in a couple weeks, uh, is uh, uh, um, Samsung is going to start uh no i think they're taking pre-sales today for the samsung fold the galaxy fold did you order one it's two thousand dollars come on <laughs> <laughs> what's two thousand dollars to you no i'm just kidding <laughs> oh let's not get ahead of ourselves uh, uh uh you know you know if someone wants to sponsor this podcast <laughs> <laughs> get in touch because we could use new yeah. phones <laughs> yeah you can pay phones that's totally cool 100 uh, percent. i'm in uh but um you know i let's put this right I, I am not a, I am not a hundred percent no to buying one. Right. I'm not like, I'm definitely not buying one. I'm just not like quite to a yes, but I also, um, want to see how much, like, there's also like the Huawei one, which I kind of like the form factor a little bit better. And, um, you know, there's a couple of other, like Motorola is now supposedly doing a new folding phone that'll be under the razor brand. I don't know if you saw that. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And so, uh, and there, you know, it may be that if you just wait, you know, a few months or maybe even till early next year, there's going to be a lot better options, which will probably cost a little bit less money. On the other hand, how cool would it be that be have a folding phone right now? It would be super cool, and on and it makes me feel kind of good that um, that there's some creativity coming back into the market. Uh, maybe it means that ten years from now we can be having a conversation <laughs> saying don't you remember when phones were so boring they were just you know archetypal slabs 
Yeah, I, I know, I know. Maybe we'll do like a, a, a series on um, before the folding phones took over. Yes. And uh, <laughs> the lost unfolding phones. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, and talk about uh, what life was like before 6G. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So that might be a good place to end, wrap things up. But I, I thought that was just kind of worth worth commenting on that uh, maybe we picked the right moment to memorialize that that moment in history uh, as we maybe step into a new era of like folding phones and 5G. Yeah, exactly. And I think that I do want to highlight your um, tip that you gave on getting a free laptop. Um, <laughs> call your local TSA. <laughs> Well, you know, you can call actually any in the country, in theory, (laughs) to try your luck. Uh, I mean, don't don't do anything illegal. I mean, somebody lost their poor laptop. That's true. um, That's true. I, I, uh, you know, I I was certainly surprised at how, uh, at at that whole process. But, um, wow, this has been fun. Maybe we probably aren't going to do more episodes. Maybe we will. Maybe we'll do a folding phones episode. if uh, in 10 years. Uh, but um, I wanted to say thanks everyone for listening. And, and Christy, also thank you for doing this because with me, because I've really enjoyed uh, doing these episodes with you. Same. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that we made this a thing. And thank you to everyone that's reached out to us. It's so much fun to hear everyone else's stories and know that we weren't the only ones paying attention to this back in the day. Yeah. And um, well, if you want to reach us, it's very easy. Uh, we do respond to everything, at least every tweet. Uh, and, I, uh, and so I'm at Peter Rojas on Twitter. I'm at I'm Christy Pitts on Twitter. And we will probably not see you again soon. But uh, but uh, you know, thank you again for listening, and uh, we hope you've enjoyed this little pop up uh, series on uh, the history of forgotten phones. Thanks. Bye. <laughs>